Well, good morning, Olive Branch. We are going to be uh, jumping back into John and examining a topic that's a bit controversial, so I hope you're ready to kind of hold on and uh, work through this with me today. As uh, if you're our guest, um, obviously we're, we do talk about controversial things, and this week the controversy is going to be over heaven. And uh, maybe you're like, how in the world is heaven controversial? Um, primarily because heaven, honestly, is something we all have a stake in. Either you know somebody who's in heaven right now, or you know somebody going to heaven right now, or you're hoping to go to heaven yourself. The options are pretty broad. Everybody kind of thinks about heaven, has an opinion about heaven. I know my grandmother had an opinion about heaven. She, uh, be, before she had died, I was talking to her at a, one of our Christmas parties and just asked her, like, oh, grandma, what do you, what do you really think heaven's going to be like? What do, you, what do you think it'll be? And she's like, oh, I've been told it's just going to be a giant church service. We're going to sing for the rest of eternity. I don't know about you. That sounds awful. Especially, I always consider, what if I got stuck next to a tone-deaf person? Do, do we get to rotate and move? Is it, are we no longer tone-deaf? Is that going to be okay? But just, I like singing, but the imagination of singing forever just, just sounds like it hurts. But um, Honestly, other opinions grow down to my, my children. I asked them the other day, I'm like, so what do you guys think heaven is? And um, my son, Jonathan, who's not the youngest, but the next to the youngest, piped up. He's like, oh, heaven's that place where it's going to be so cool because we have resurrected bodies. We'll get to go into the water and we'll never die. So I'll get to swim with the eels. <laughs> Who wants to swim with the eels? I'm like, swim with the dolphins? Cool. You know, swim with eels? Okay, you know, so heaven to my son is swimming with eels. And so I thought that was interesting. As we think through our opinions, I wonder what you would say, how you would answer that question. Because all of us have been confronted with the question of what is heaven like. All of us have been interested in that, maybe even read some books about people who've been to heaven and come back kind of stuff. But it's because we're in our confrontation of our lives, we're all distressed by one thing, namely death. I can remember when, where I was and what happened when I learned about death. Does anybody else remember when you learned about death in here? I was six. I was standing by my pool outside of our little gates, and um, my mom was cleaning the pool. This is how vivid this is to me. I think my grandmother was really sick, and she was um, going to be dying. It was my mom's mom and within the next year or so. And so I was really concerned, like, what happens to grandma? What's going on? And my mom told me, look, she's going to die. That means we're not going to see her anymore. And then she told me, but don't worry about it. You know, she'll be in heaven, right? She comforts me with heaven. It didn't matter. I wasn't comforted with heaven. I fell apart into this puddle of goo, just crying right there. I I don't want to die, you know, holding on to this pole, crying because death is frightening. I don't care if you think you're the most macho person on the planet. When you hear those words, you've got cancer, or maybe you even suspect that, or you think I'm going to face death with boldness, and then suddenly your wife or, or your husband is about to die, it is frightening. It is overwhelming. It is distressing. And it's no wonder then that we run and we try to comfort ourselves with heaven. So maybe that's why all of us as Americans really kind of have this feeling that, you know what, when you die, you go to heaven. That's just kind of how life works. There's, you know, there's, there's, we're all been comforted, told as children, you're going to die, you're going to go to heaven. And so we assume that's where we go. And this is where Jesus gets controversial because Jesus is going to step into a conversation about heaven. And when he starts talking about this, it gets uncomfortable. In fact, it doesn't just get uncomfortable. It gets frustrating and even angering maybe for some of us here today, because what Jesus is going to say is that he's going to say that he is the only way to heaven. 
And suddenly, all these people we thought were in heaven or could be going to heaven or might be in heaven, we suddenly go, Jesus is saying they're not. And that's going to take some kindness. It's going to take some ability to move through some discomfort. So I want to stop here and ask God's uh, blessing and help as we wrestle through this next section of the book of John. So let's bow our heads together. Father, we thank you for um, the fact that you don't pull punches in your word. You say things that to us as humans sound audacious and incredible, and we need your help. Some of us are not going to like the, the idea in, that Jesus is presenting today, and others of us, we're going to relish in it in a wrong way. And I just ask that you would put our hearts in the right place, not that we would be excited or giddy, or not that we would be scared and angry, that God, um, those who want to see tolerance would give tolerance this morning, and in this way we would be able to uh, just learn and grow, challenge our hearts, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Now, you can find this interesting section that I'm talking about in the book of John. So grab the Bibles in the seats in front of you, John chapter 14. We're going to start in verse 1, actually roll through 14 verses. And so if you will, grab one of those out. You can find it on page 901, and you'll be right there with us as we're starting to move through the text. And just to give you some background on what's gone on, we left off with Jesus sitting at a table. It's the night before he's going to die. He has been talking with his disciples, discussing issues about love and how they're to love each other, about his betrayal. And in fact, Judas has just gotten up and left to betray Jesus. And now he's turned to his disciples and said, you guys need to love each other because I'm leaving well, that is distressing in and of themselves. They're going, where are you going? Peter stands up and says, I'm going to follow you wherever. I'm, I'm, you, I, you can't go where I can't follow you. And Jesus says, hold on a second. You think you're going to die for me? No, I'm telling you the truth. Before the morning comes, you're going to deny me three times. So you can imagine the disciples aren't like in this happy place. They started off arguing about who's going to be the greatest and having a great time at their Passover meal to now shift into suddenly feeling depressed, down, disturbed, upset, unclear. And so Jesus moves now into what is the longest discourse, his longest amount of talking you'll find in any of the Gospels. And so we're going to spend a few weeks rolling through all of this stuff, and I'm not going to be able to say everything that's in here because this is probably one of the most technical and deep sections of all the Bible, but we're going to hit on some of these pieces. And he begins with trying to comfort his disciples. Beginning in verse 1, it says, "'Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me.'" In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I am go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. And Thomas was confused. So I'm just going to press pause here. Thomas is confused. He's hearing Jesus' words, but they're not clicking. Something about the way that Jesus is talking about. He says, my father's house. Now, Jesus is called the temple his father's house. Jesus is also considered, we consider heaven the, his father's house. He's, he, they, there's an idea that God is going to form this messianic kingdom through Jesus, and there was going to be this place. Maybe they take over Rome, and they take over the mansion there in Rome, and that will be the father's place of residence, and, and we'll get to dwell there. And there's all these different ideas that could be floating through the minds of the disciples. And so Thomas just pipes up. He's like, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And then Jesus says this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
And right there, Jesus levels what is considered one of the most exclusive claims in all the faiths. In fact, this is the most exclusive claim you're going to find Jesus make. He is literally saying, nobody goes to heaven except through him. Jesus is saying, I'm the only way to heaven. That's pretty intense because right away, I mean, even in my own heart, you kind of back up and you're like, really? Really? That, that seems so arrogant. It seems so, um, I don't know, how do you say it? Mean, cruel. All these people aren't going to go to heaven because they didn't know Jesus, because they didn't go to this right time, because they didn't have your Christian faith. That's really how this begins. And a lot of people will argue like, wow, you Christians are so narrow that you think you're the only ones that are going to go to heaven. You think because Jesus says this. And to be honest, I'll just tell you as, as, as your pastor, as a, as a person, as a human, man, I want there to be all kinds of ways to heaven. Don't you? I mean, I want there to be. I want there to be like a billion ways to heaven and only two ways to hell. You know, that, and then just tell me those two ways so I don't ever go there. Because I don't want anybody to go there. I think it's really odd to meet a Christian who's like, oh yeah, Jesus is the only way. All those people are going to go to hell. It's like, whoa, what's wrong with you? Do you understand what hell is? That's a scary thought. No, but my heart condition would be that, man, I want as many people in heaven as possible. But here's the weird thing. I, I really don't get to say what heaven's like, to be honest. I want certain things all the time, and I don't get those things. And in fact, if I back up and I, and I really was to stand there and say, well, no, you know what? There are many ways to heaven. I'm looking at Jesus, and I'm took, looking at Jesus going, Jesus, you're wrong. Now, that's just about as arrogant as Jesus telling me I'm wrong, isn't it? I mean, I can be arrogant in my position no matter what side I take. Only the Muslims are going to heaven. Nope, only these four are going to heaven. Nope, everybody's going to heaven. You're all wrong. Everybody's, no, it's, there is arrogance in all the positions. Once you say this is the way that it is, it's not a matter of opinion. It's about reality. Is it true or is it not? Is this how things are or is it some other way? And that's the trouble for me is that when it comes to heaven, we have to realize something. Look again at verse 6. When it comes to this exclusion, it comes to heaven. Look at verse 6 quickly. And it's going to say this. Just read it with me. It says, Jesus said to him, who's speaking? Say it. It's very easy. I'm not tricking you. It's like, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus is the one speaking. It's important that you note that because so many people want to go, oh, Christianity says this. Well, time out for a second. No, Jesus says this. Jesus is the one who makes the declaration, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus is the first, is the person who draws the exclusion. It's not the church, it's Jesus. And so we have to deal with Jesus. We don't deal with the pastor. You don't deal with the people who are agreeing with Jesus. You deal with the one making the claim. You deal with Jesus. And so Jesus is making the statement, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And when I look at that, I, I realize something's going on here, something that I had never seen before because sometimes the most obvious things are the things you miss. You ever notice that? We as Americans will walk by signs all the time. Don't go out those back doors. People walk, walk right out those back doors because they don't read the sign that's up there because we miss the obvious things in our face. Here's the obvious thing. Jesus just said, I am the way to heaven. He's a person. 
Jesus is a person. Now that sounds like obvious. Duh, Jesus is a person. But stop. Think about how this debate goes. People say, oh, and I've heard like radio people talk about this, radio personalities that will say, oh, Christians believe that you have to believe these certain things. And if you believe these certain things, then you have faith in those certain ideas and truths and you're going to go to heaven. Others say, no, you got to do these certain things. And if you do these certain things and believe these certain things, then you're really going to heaven. In fact, I meet people all the time and say, well, I believe the right things, but you don't have the fruit. So how do I know you really believe these if it's not coming through your life? And we get into all of this, like what you believe and what you do and all. And Jesus said this, he says, it's not what you know, it's who you know. I, namely Jesus, as a person, is the way, the truth, and the life. He's saying you don't come through what you believe. You don't come through what you do. You come through me. Now, before you're like, well, Greg, theology. Theology is important. I agree theology is important. And so for my life, when I'm following somebody who's been risen from the dead, and I meet him in my prayer time, and I engage him in the word of God, and I'm talking to him, and I'm seeing him answer my prayers because I know him, and he knows me, and we're in this interaction of true person-to-person conversation called a relationship. And when that is happening in my life, and it does, the powerful thing that occurs to me is that I'm, I'm going to agree with him. When he tells me about himself, I'm going to go, okay, I trust you. When he tells me to do something, I'm going to go do it. So it's not about my belief system or my pragmatics. It's about Jesus. It's about I trust what he's told me. I trust who he is. And so it's important for us when we engage in this conversation that we're talking about a person, not a list of beliefs, not a list of things to do. We're talking about, do you know Jesus? And let, let, me, let me be very blunt There are some of you in the room who claim the name Christian because you believe Jesus died for your sins. You believe he rose from the dead. Yes, you believe in the sense that you believe it up here in your noggin. You've got all the right thoughts down. Maybe you're doing all the good things and you're living some good stuff that you have yet to have met Jesus to where he's wrecked you. Or he's upset your soul so deeply you know you deserve help because his holiness has shown up and revealed the sin inside of you to where you're still standing there and you're actually using these arguments as a way of arrogance. You're using your things that you do as a way of standing right before God. And when you meet Jesus, you know there's no way to stand before God. He's upended your soul. This is a person we're dealing with, a true being, a true being who exists in this room right now to engage you. Not an abstract concept, not a great model to live by but the true and living one who is risen from the dead. And when Jesus therefore says, I am the way to heaven, he's literally meaning meet with me, have a relationship with me. Now that's intense because Jesus is still talking about heaven. I think we get heaven wrong and this doesn't make sense to us because of of our ideas about heaven. You see, how many of you, I'm just just gonna ask this in general, how many of you were born or cesarean into the world? Just raise your hand real quick. Obviously, everybody here has one of, you've taken some route and you've made it to this earth. But how many of you got to choose your parents? Your birth parents? How many got to choose your genetics? Choose the time period in which you live, the continent that you live on, that you were born on. See, we don't get to choose the reality we dwell in. The the hawks were flying over the Arizona desert far before I was born. There There were little beasts running all over Antarctica way before human beings ever got there. Reality exists whether we're there or not. 
And heaven is not some idea we invent. It's a reality that actually exists that someone has to come tell us about. And that's where it's important that we get it right because all of us, our concepts of heaven actually are derived from a couple of places. Either we inherited it, you got it from some Christian background of life in our, in our American culture. So maybe you're like my grandma's like, we sing forever in heaven. Yeah, that was a popular idea in the 1800s, but not really relevant for today. Thank you. You know, some of you are, are like, it's a reunion of all my loved ones, and yet you have chosen who's there. I've met guys who are like, oh man, I can't wait for heaven because all my bros are going to be there, my homies. And I'm like, so they all live like hell and they get to go to heaven. And it's like, okay, I get that this works. You get to choose who's in and who's out. Their enemies aren't there, but man, everybody they want to be with is there. And heaven's all about getting to do with the things I never got to do on earth. Oh man, it's going to be awesome. And so heaven's really centered most of the time in our conversations around us, me, my idea of heaven, how I want heaven to be, who I want to meet in heaven, how I want to enjoy heaven. And that's Christians and non-Christians alike, because we haven't stopped to look at the fact that heaven's not an opinion. It's not something we invent. It's something that's told to us about. And Jesus, who has been in heaven, has come and told to us because he is God. He is God who has come in the flesh, according to the, the first book, the first chapter of John. We've been reading about is the one very God who's dwelling here, and he's describing heaven. Let's go back and look at this description one more time. Back up to verse 2. First, he says, in my Father's house are many rooms, many places. And he goes on to say, I'm, if I were not so, I would have told you that I go prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take myself or you to myself. And where I am, you may be also. So Jesus describes heaven in two ways. He says, first of all, it's my father's house. Well, who is Jesus's father? Not, not his earthly father, Joseph. He's speaking of God, the father. The God, the father in Jesus's mind is the God of the Old Testament. The God who created everything, made humans in his own image, who, who saw that man kind of sinned, put them into punishment, who brought about a flood, who raised them and scattered them with different languages, who came to this place where he picked out one man and built from them, from this Abraham, an entire nation called Israel, rose up a king and brought that whole nation to place. This is the God of the Israelites we're talking about. Heaven is being in the presence of the God, is being in the home of the Israelites. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm a dad. I don't let anybody just come into my house, when, right? Someone knocks on your door, you're just like, oh, come in and live. Hang out with us. These are my children. No, you would never do that. You have to have a relationship. You have to know somebody. And Jesus is saying, look, it's not about who you know. It's not about what you know. It's about who you know. You don't just get to come in my dad's house. It's like claiming you can just walk into the Oval Office of the White House. Look, it doesn't matter how well you know the security system. It doesn't matter how well you know the Constitution. It doesn't matter how well you know the map of Washington, D.C. and the underground tunnels. You're not getting into the Oval Office unless you know somebody who's invited you in. You could sit in a king's banquet chamber only because the king invited you. You could sit in his throne room only because he let you in, unless you're his child. And the child can come and go as he pleases to meet up with dad as much as he wants. And here Jesus calls him his father. He says, I'm the kid in the house. I, I'm the one to get to know because when you get to know me, I, give, I get the access. And so heaven is being with the Jewish God, being with the God of Israel and being with Jesus being with the Trinitarian God of the Bible. If you don't like the God of the Old Testament, you don't like the God of the New Testament, you don't like Jesus, you're not going to like heaven. It's not going to be a place that you're going to enjoy at all. 
because it's centered around them. Where I am, there you will be. It's my Father's house, not my desires. It's like telling cat lovers that all dogs go to heaven and cats don't. You're not gonna, if you hate dogs, you're not going to like going to heaven because the dogs are going to bug you. And this is, the, this is the situation. Now think about that. If Jesus has been in heaven and he's coming and telling us what heaven is about and what heaven is like, then he is truly declaring to us that this is the reality of heaven. It's my father's house and it's where I am. If you don't like that, you're not going to like heaven. And so it's like a lock and a key. I had, to have a lock, I had to have a locksmith come out to my house because my lock exploded one day as I was trying to get it to work right. And all the little pieces that, that fit down on the key flew out and I still find them out in my lawn here and there. I mean, it just blew up. And so I had this guy come out and he had to re-key that lock. So he had to take the key and put it in and put it there. And so the key and the lock match. If heaven's about being with Jesus, no wonder Jesus said, I am the way to my father. He's the key that matches that lock. There is no other way into heaven if heaven is getting to know Jesus and being with Jesus. Now, the question is, why in the world would I want to get, be with Jesus that long? Why would, I want to, why would I want to hang out in a heaven like that? And it's because you, we may mistake who God is. It may be why you're repelled from God. And, and so there's an important reality. We need to know who God is. And so Jesus jumps into that. In fact, he picks back up and says something else. He says, basically, I'm the only way to know God. Notice how he goes. He says, I'm the only way to the Father, except there's no other way to the Father except through me, verse 6. And verse 7, Jesus continues, if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and you've seen him. And Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father. It'll be enough for us. And And what Philip's doing here is he hears Jesus. He's like, wait, we get to see the Father? This is awesome. The Jewish heart longs to be in the presence of God. The way I like to explain this is all human hearts actually long to be in the presence of God. Um, I like messing around with, with wine glasses after like um, a meal or something at a, at a wedding because I like to get my finger wet and then rub the top of the rim until it, it, it sings. You ever done that? And it's like, Wee! you're like, Ooh, that's cool. And what you're hitting is called the harmonic resonance of the glass. Everything on the planet has a harmonic resonance. If you can find the frequency that it vibrates at and you increase that frequency, you vibrate it harder and harder to the point where you can actually shatter glass with sound by finding its harmonic resonance. And what I want to say, why I'm bringing that up is what I want to tell you is, guys, our harmonic resonance is God. See, the Bible says we were made in God's image. That means when you are near God, when you're in the presence of God, everything about you that was made starts to come alive. It starts to vibrate. It starts to move. Your purpose comes to life. Your skills come to purpose. Your very talents come to be understood why you have them, why you have them now, what's going on. God is echoing in you because you're made to represent him and you're made to be like him. And everything in the human condition starts to grow and and get excited and be alive. And the Jewish mind, knowing this, begged and longed for the day they would see God. And so Philip, in that mentality, says, oh, show us the Father. It is enough for us. And Jesus looked at them and said, have I been with you so long and you still don't know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? 
Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. And so Jesus right there says, look, when you see me, you see the Father. I'm the way to get to know God. You can read, and, and we should, we should read the Old Testament. If you want to need to know what God is really like, read about Jesus, get to know Jesus. But Greg, what about all the other religions? I mean, come on, there's all, there's like five great religions. There's all kinds of sub-religions kind of out of those. What about the other religions? You tell me they don't know anything about God? I'm not necessarily saying they don't know anything about ethics, morality, or how to live. But I do think that it, it's just a cursory study. Just do a small study. You'll realize we have radically different concepts about God. God himself is not the same. Contrary to what everybody wants to tell you in Hollywood and on the internet, no, uh, theologians know from different religions we don't have the same God. We're not talking about the same being here. We'll just start over here in the East and we'll look at Buddhism. Buddhism actually does not believe in a God. They don't hold to any form of God. They believe in the dharmas. And the dharmas are these spiritual, powerful forces that are all actually one force. One of those dharmas is nirvana, which is a loss of consciousness and, and just existence into nothing, whatever. And it's just kind of this powerful spiritual thing. It's not actually has any personality. You can't get to know it. You're not supposed to know anything or desire anything to enter into the dharmas. At the same time, if you end up in Hinduism, Hinduism is lots of gods, but ultimately at the bottom line is this thing called Brahman, and they call it a god, but it's really just spiritual essence. It's impersonal, unknowable, it does not speak to you. You are supposed to lose your consciousness and lose yourself to really become Brahman. So we're not talking about a relationship with anything here. This isn't the same thing. So, yeah, I get that, I get that. But Islam believes in the same God that you do, don't you? Actually, no. Allah is a radically different concept of God. In fact, uh, just so that I'm not saying it for myself, a contemporary scholar of Islam currently, in, right now, his name is Ismail al-Faruqi. And Ismail al-Faruqi wrote in, his, in one of his books here, he, he was talking about the concepts of God in Christianity and in in Islam, he says, God does not reveal himself to anyone in any way. God reveals only his will. Remember, one of the prophets asked God to reveal himself to God, and God told him, no, or it, no, it is impossible for me to reveal myself to anyone. God does not reveal himself to anyone. Christians talk about the revelation of God himself, by God and of God, but that is the greatest difference between Christianity and Islam. In Islam, you cannot know the essence of God. You only know his works. You only know his word. You only know what he wants and does. You don't know him. And so that remains, there's only a person, the only place you will meet a personal God who wants to know you and love you and grow in relationship with you is in Judaism and Christianity. That's it. And there's a problem with the God that we want to get to know who wants to get to know us in Judaism and Christianity, and that gap is always sin. Sin is what keeps the relational door shut. And unless we deal with sin, whether it's in Judaism with sacrifices at the temple at the right times during the right ways which the temple is gone and those things are destroyed, so they have no real mechanism anymore remaining in their theology except do good things. 
Or you have an ultimate sacrifice as we have in Jesus Christ, who said, I've removed the sin out of the way so you can have a relationship with God. If you want to know who God is, get to know me. When you see me, he says, you've seen God. That's weird. What does that mean? Any Lord of the Rings fans in here? I love Lord of the Rings. I watch them every year, extended editions only. And um, actually, I'm one of those geeks that has watched all the appendices. I like spent like a, li- a year of my life or something watching this. One of, my favorite, uh, one of my favorite appendices is when they talk about Gollum. Any Gollum fans? I love Gollum. And so they show Andy Serkis. Andy Serkis is the voice and the, uh, the, the person who acts out Golem. And as Andy Serkis is moving along, he's like, my precious, stupid, fat little hobbit. You know, so he's got all that going on. I love that voice. And so um, I, I became the movie. So anyway, the Andy Serkis is moving. Well, you watch this monitor, and he's got this suit on, and he's got these dots on him, and all this electronics are all over his suit. As he's moving, you watch the monitor, and this Golem figure is moving as he's moving. And the way that Andy Serkis moves, he moves. When Andy Serkis goes, stupid, fat, that's what Gollum says. When you see Gollum, you see Andy Serkis. And when you see Andy Serkis, you're meeting Gollum. It's a silly illustration, but for the first time in our lives, technology has given us an opportunity to think about the fact that when you see Jesus, when you read about what Jesus does, you're reading about what the Father does, how he lives amongst humanity, how he cares about people. When you see Jesus, you see the Father. You want to know what God is like? Get to know Jesus Christ. Meet him. Meet him in the word. Meet him in your prayers. Meet him. And he will show you and reveal who God is. And you will understand how you have seen God. And you say, well, that's great, Greg. But it really doesn't give me any value knowing God. I mean, I got science. I've got my health. I don't need him to heal me. I don't need him to help me in practical matters. What good is knowing God? Well, let me put it this way. If God exists, and he does, and he wants a relationship with you, he knows you perfectly. And he knows everything about this world because he made it all. And therefore, he knows exactly the best life for you. And he knows exactly how this world ought to be. And he actually calls you to the good life because he loves you and wants a relationship with you. And so when we come to meet God and we begin a journey with God, does that mean everything's perfect? Actually, no. It becomes a relationship in which he begins to show us ourselves and we begin, to be re- we begin to realize how messed up and how much help we really need. And we start to live against these things that were destroying our life and living towards the things that are good for our life and we know what the good life is and we know how technology doesn't control us because I love God. I don't need to necessarily depend on technology. I don't fear if the medicine will fail me because I know God and he says I have access with him for eternity. You see, there's far more that God gives us than just the way. Jesus said, I'm the life. Because he is God and he knows the way to live and he offers it to us and we can live in that good life. You know, the other thing is, very few people anymore know why they're here on this planet. Why were you made? Why today? Why at this time? And why are you who you are? What's the mess with this world? Why is it that everybody wants to harm each other when we all know we shouldn't? Why do we lie to each other? Why do we go after our stuff? What's broken? Is it just education? Well, that's pretty clear, no. We had some pretty smart people in the middle of Germany in the 1940s who did some pretty nasty stuff. Okay, then it's all about society. No, we pretty much proved that. What's the problem? We're lost for true answers. 
to true situations. And when you meet God, he begins to reveal, no, the problem is in the human heart. The very line of good and evil doesn't draw out there in education. It draws right down your heart. And you're the problem. And when you see that and you see the truth and you see the solution of Christ dying on the cross, of him giving you life, giving you eternal life, of saving you from your sin, of removing you from the mess, when he shows up like that and you begin to get to know God, it's imminently practical. You see why your skills are here. You know what your purpose is for because he made you for a great purpose because he's the truth. He's not just the way, he's the way, the truth, and the life. And in all of this, knowing God is extremely, extremely necessary. But church, do you know God? Christians, it's really important that we understand that some of us say we know things about God, but have you been meeting with God? Do you have the relationship with him? Have you engaged and encountered him on a daily basis because he's here right now with you in this room? And we need to be the kind of people who walk and know him because here's what happens. We're inviting people to come and know him. And you may not know him. And you may not think that idea of heaven is even nice. It's like, that's ugly. But I want to encourage you. If you get to know God and you get to know Jesus and you will walk with him, the craving and the desires for heaven grow because you begin to see who God is and you begin to see the joys of being with him. You begin to understand what he's telling us, and suddenly it develops. And as we who know him, love him, it shifts into us taking that. The church goes to take that message to the world. The reason it's not, just, it's not necessarily exclusive is because Jesus, the person, said, Come, all of you who are weary, come relate with me. Come know me. Come see that I'm teaching you about me. Come here. In fact, I'm going to send you guys to go out, and you're going to do it even more. Check out how Jesus says this. He turns in verse 11 after he says that, hey, I, I, the Father dwells in me and I do his works. Believe me that I am in the Father. The Father is in me or else believe on the count of the works themselves. He says, believe me. Don't, just, just remove the word believe for a second from your vocabulary. Belief and faith have this kind of, oh yeah, I agree with that thought. No, this is trust me. Trust me. When's the last time a stranger said, well, trust me? And you went, oh yeah, Okay. One of the reasons you may not trust Jesus today, that he died on the cross and bore your sins, or you trust that he's even here is because you haven't taken the time to see if the relationship is real. He's offered you a chance to get to know him. And he said, here, come on, I'm here, I'm available, I'm a real person. Trust me. Trust only occurs in a relationship. Trust only happens when you're relating with someone. And it builds as you're asking God for prayer, answered prayer and it comes about. Not in the way that you want it necessarily all the time because we are selfish, I get that. But Jesus is very clear. He says, trust me, come here, I'm open. Come have a relationship with me. Truly, truly, I say to you, and, he, and he's emphasizing this, whoever trusts in me will also do the works that I do. That's called the church. What are, God's, what are God's works that he does? First of all, Jesus came and he preached the gospel. Second, he proclaimed the truth and taught. Third, he healed and cast out demons. Fourth, he taught people to love and challenged authorities and brought about justice. These are all of Jesus' works. All the works the Father does. And he says, here, when you trust me, you'll do these. You're gonna have these things come out of you. You're gonna tell, let's preach the gospel 
Olive Branch, you will do this. You will teach the truths, not me, you as you trust him. You will do this with your neighbors and your friends. You will see God begin to work through you. Yeah, maybe even do a miracle. Oh, that's weird. It happens. Notice he says, and you will do greater. Whoever believes in me will do the works that I do and greater works than these he will do because I am going to the Father. Now, some people are like, oh, that means you're gonna be able to like heal 50,000 people at one time. You know, you're never gonna get a greater work than Jesus dying on the cross bearing our sins, okay? What, that doesn't mean that it's a more powerful thing than Jesus has ever done. What it means is that there's a lot more of us who are dwelling with God that he's gonna work through, that's gonna spread throughout a, a world in which one Jesus could only do so much but when he multiplied himself into all of us, by his spirit, as we'll see next week, those works multiply in a great way throughout the nations where they do see miracles, where people who are blind do receive their sight, where things radically God does to get the attention of people, to show them that he exists and he dwells amongst men. And he calls us as the church to do this through our relationship. Notice the relationship we're supposed to have. It's called prayer. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. That's a promise. You go, time out, Greg. I've asked lots of things, and I've said in Jesus' name, and nothing's happened. No, 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 no. In Jesus' name is not a magic tagline, okay? It's not like, P.S., blah, 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 or truly, Greg. You know, that's not, that's not how that works. In Jesus' name, we say it as tradition, but what it means is that, God, I ask what is already in line with your mission and desire. God's going to empower what he wants done on the planet. God's going to empower the mission he desires. He desires Olive Branch to reach out into Corona. He desires Olive Branch to reach out down to Simiscal Valley. He desires his love to be known and people to know God. Then he'll empower it. If he desires you to meet your neighbor and find a person of peace, he'll empower that. If he desires your neighbor to be healed so that they can know Jesus, he'll empower that. It's not just, I want this list of things I want in Jesus' name. I put in the token, God, where are you? Nope, that's not a relationship. So your prayers change the deeper you know God because you get to know his heart. He cares about injustice. He cares about the hurting. He cares about the lost. He's given you a purpose to love people because the heart is that none would go to hell. Though the reality is through Jesus, knowing him is the way into heaven. And he's given you and I each an invitation, thousands of them stacked in our houses and in our hearts to hand out to everyone we know. That's why we got to love Christ. That's why we live for Christ. That's why we share Christ wherever we go. Because that's how the relationship works. You know him, it grows, and he works through you that others may know him and grow and work. He works through them that others may know him and grow and he works through them that we may have the good life, that we may have the truth, and that we may have the way not to be selfish, but to give it away. So are you relating to your God? Have you met with him? In prayer. I'm not talking about, yeah, I prayed this morning for breakfast. No, have you met with him in prayer? Have you engaged and he met you today and you walked out of your closet, off your knees, out of your car, wherever you were and said, wow, God was there today. You know it? He's there. He's here now. 
ready to relate to you. He's the God of relationship. And all he says is, trust me. Trust me. Let's bow our heads. Lord, help us because so many of us right now, are, we're, we're so practically minded, God. We're like, okay, well, what do I do? What do I do? Do I read my Bible every day? Do I pray every day? And God, I just ask that you just meet us. You'd answer those questions. You would fill in those gaps, that you would meet us and that we would find our prayer life growing. We'd find our reading of the word growing. We'd find that you're using us because we're just getting to know you more and more and more, that we'd spend that time and God, right now, some people in the room, this is, this is a foreign concept that you can get to know God, that he actually is alive and he's actually some, someone to know. And God, you are. And I pray you'd meet with them. I pray you'd help them begin this journey with you. That you challenge us because you are the true and living God. And you've come to lead us. We thank you for this time together. God, ask that you would just help us to grow in knowing you. And it is something I think you want. So I ask it in your son's name. Amen.